How's that for a slice of fried gold? Oh, you think this is a fucking costume? This is a way of life. I'll be back. Just a flesh wound. I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Take your sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape. I'm sorry, Ben. Well, hello, and welcome to Cinema Shock, a podcast dedicated to the history and evolution of cult and genre movies. I'm Gary Horn. I'm Justin Bishop, and we are joined today by our once again, our special guest, <laughs> oh, writer, yeah. comedian, ever, ever the third wheel, and clinical cunt, Todd Davis. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Yeah, uh, I'll take that. Did we talk about last week when he stops becoming special? I think we did, but I don't know. Todd is always special. Oh, yeah. 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 Touched in the head. I think by now people sure. are sick of him. So. <laughs> he's That's, probably sick of us he's probably like what did i get myself into <laughs> they're making me watch all these low budget horror movies and i don't give a shit and he's he's really rethinking i, his, his I have en- choices. i have enjoyed a number two, of a number two, of like two of them. <laughs> <laughs> this is episode eight and you've enjoyed two of them you enjoyed night and you wait maybe three night of the dead dawn of the dead and night riders yeah, yeah. I'm gonna tell you right. something. Three out of three out of seven. I don't know this week, uh, but th- at least three out of seven, which is still batting like forty percent. So. Yeah, yeah, it's not great. <laughs> it's uh, it's interesting. Every but, time but uh, what, what the to... series has done for me with Romero is that every time we I finish one of his movies, now I'm just like, man, Night Riders was good. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but we're 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 we appreciate your perspective, though, Todd. And I appreciate being here with you guys. <laughs> no, I I I do enjoy. I I like getting into movies that I might not have found otherwise. Yeah, and yeah. I feel like that's kind of like, you know, it's like trying new food. You know, yeah. for those who have never tried sushi or whatever it's just kind of like hey give this a try you might like yeah, sushi's it. delicious yeah sushi's sushi's great but except when you try new food you still get the joy of having a great shit afterwards and you don't That's get true. that with this well mm. i guess this is the great shit afterwards <laughs> <laughs> listen this show is like a really great shit <laughs> it's, it's just a lot of fun just releasing everything all right so this week we are in week eight of our George Romero, Tom Savini series. We're nearing the end of the series. Uh, There's only two more episodes after this one. This has been a long journey, but it's been fun. I mean, we've seen the ups and downs and all the different aspects of both of their careers, which I think has been pretty cool personally. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. Well, for the most part. Oh, actually, you've not enjoyed it for the most part. We just For 40%. 40%, (laughs) I think that's what we established, 40%. (laughs) <laughs> hey if anything it's helped my wife know who george romero and tom savini are there you go Real. surely she had already seen like the dead movies though right um uh, you know Freak i don't show. i don't know that she had actually seen them before or like yeah. if she had she you know i don't know like what obviously she, she seems like night of the living dead or something but i don't think she ever knew the trilogy really what did she think of them 
Uh, she she thinks they're all right, but zombies are not really her thing anyway. Like, what did she? Th- she's seen Creep Show in the past, though. Yeah, yeah, she likes Creep Show. Okay, but so, yeah, that's the nice thing is I've been able to get Cat to watch um, just about everything uh, nice. with me. So, and I think she's she's enjoyed our time together. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so Day of the Dead marked. George Romero's final film as part of the Laurel Group. We've talked about his partnership with uh, Richard Rubenstein in the past on the show, and that was the last movie that they did together. But it wasn't their final project together because the two of them continued to work together in some capacity over the next couple of years, uh, but it was primarily in television. So their future work together after that included producing the Tales from the Dark Side TV series with Romero even. He, he wrote the pilot episode called Trick or Treat, which was directed by actor Bob Balaban. Do you guys know who Bob Balaban is? He's part mm. of like Christopher Guest's uh, oh, troupe okay. of, of actors. And he, uh, I had so no he's idea. Done, like, he was, so he's been a part of like uh, Best in Show. And, he's in, uh, yep, he's in Best in Show. He's in, uh, but he's also done some work with uh, like Wes Anderson. And oh, okay. He is, I did not know he was a director and I actually found out that he was a director prior to doing research for this episode because I was looking up some other movie and saw his name as the director and I can't even remember what that movie was now. But he also did a movie, Gary, you may have seen it called Parents from like the late 80s, early 90s, a horror, horror comedy yeah, called Parents. Yeah, like way with, back, I do remember uh, I think John Goodman's in it, but I remember it being pretty good. But yeah, apparently he's a horror movie director because the other movies that I'd seen that he directed are horror or like horror comedy. Uh, so the Tales from the Dark Side series was a an anthology series, you know, kind of inspired by the success of Creep Show, And that episode, Trick or Treat, that he wrote was actually the first time that Romero had ever written a script for someone else to direct. And despite the fact that that episode received pretty po- a pretty positive reaction, he kind of always had mixed feelings about giving over creative control because he's like, this is you know something he put his, his work into and he was used to being the guy who brought that to fruition. Well, it's always, you know, when you get into any sort of collaborative effort, it, it gets exponentially more difficult and a little bit more of a crapshoot the more people you bring in. Yeah, of course, because you uh, a lot of times don't have control over what the final product's going to look like. Exactly. But Romero continued to work on the show. He wrote a couple of additional episodes in season two, uh, but he eventually decided that television just wasn't for him, especially with the anemic per episode budget that Tales from the Dark Side had. It it had like $100,000 per episode, which is a super low budget for a TV show, even even back in the early to mid 80s. And then he ended up turning down the offer to work on Laurel's next series, another anthology series called Monsters. Uh, Although he did write a segment, uh, an adaptation of another Stephen King story called Cat from Hell for the Tales from the Dark Side movie, which was directed by his longtime collaborator, John Harrison, that was also produced by Laurel. And after that, he scripted uh, Creep Show 2, another Stephen King adaptation, a series of Stephen King adaptations, which was directed by another longtime collaborator of his, of his that we've talked about, uh, his cinematographer, Michael Gornick, who worked on, I think, five movies with him over the years. And it was around that time, the late 80s, that Romero and Richard Rubenstein parted ways. They There was apparently no real animosity between them. But there were some creative differences. They kind of had a different idea of the direction that things should go and ended up kind of amiably parting ways. So in the absence of having his own production company to kind of play around with and do whatever he wanted, Romero went out looking for a job. 
<laughs> he needed to work. And his next film would essentially be just that, just a job. It was a, essentially a director for hire gig for uh, Orion Pictures, who was you know a fairly well-established studio in the 1980s. And that film, of course, is the film we're talking about today from 1988, Monkey Shines. Once there was a man whose prison was a chair. The man had a monkey. They made the strangest pair. What kind of experiment was it, Jeff? What did you do to him? What did you do to me? The man was the prisoner. The monkey held the key. You want to be the boss now, is that it? Stop it! No matter how he tried, the man couldn't flee. Locked in his prison, terrified and frail. Jeff, she's here! She's down here! The monkey gaining power, keeping him in jail. No, don't do it! The man tried to keep the monkey from his brain, but every move he made became the monkey's gain. Did you do that or did she? She did it. That's right. She did it. The monkey ruled the man. It climbed inside his head. And now, as fate would have it, one of them is dead. Monkey shines. An experiment in fear. heard of that movie i hope so because i hope you watched it <laughs> <laughs> monkey shines of course tells the tale of a, a paraplegic man who's telepathically linked with a murderous monkey which is a great tagline for a movie i honestly <laughs> i thought this was funnier than creep show yeah like yeah. purposely or yeah I it was. <laughs> like on purpose yeah. <laughs> uh, monkey shines is based on a novel of the same name by a British writer by the name of Michael Stewart, published in 1983. And just a year after its publication, United Artists optioned the rights for about 20 grand. And that option also included the option for Stewart's follow-up novel, a book called Far Cry from 1984. After seven months of no movement on the project, UA's options on the books ran out. A Far Cry never happened at all. But after the options ran out, Producer Charles Evans kind of swooped in and snatched up the rights to Monkey Shines. So any, Evans, any, uh, any relation to um, Robert Evans? Robert Evans? I don't think so. Okay. What no, about Bob, th- what about Bob Evans? The Bob Evans, rest- the, the restaurant? restaurant. Yeah, the restaurateur. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> any relation? Possibly. Okay. But I'm not sure. Okay. I can't cannot confirm. I just you know I would just want to want people to know where these all things, the connections and, are and, important. And, yeah, where they where it intersects their life. <laughs> So Evans, along with fellow producers Peter Grunwald and Gerald S. Paonessa. Do you think I said that right? Probably not. Sounded close enough. (laughs) Probably not. Better better than I do. (laughs) They were fans of Ramirez, and they showed him the novel, and they also showed him some preliminary script treatments. I'm not sure who those were written by. I could not find that information, but somebody had written up some uh, treatments for it to try to convince Romero to work on the film, of course, Romero himself, would he didn't use those treatments. He ended up writing the entire final shooting script from the bottom up himself. Uh, and this was, you know, this was Romero's first time working directly for a major studio. Like Creep Show, we talked about, was distributed by Warner Brothers, but it was independently produced and funded by United Film Distribution, who he had, he had that three-picture deal with. But this time he had to work directly for the studio suits from the beginning, which as we know, Romero's an independent guy, doesn't like to work for the man. So, you know, this, he was kind of forced to, he had to, if he wanted to get a movie made, he was at the point of his career where if I want to get a movie made, I've got to work for these guys. I've got to kind of compromise 
who I see myself as that independent guy, that King Billy, you know, from Knight Riders. Right. He had to right. kind of compromise a little bit to be able to get the job done. It kind of speaks to the level of maturity and responsibility that you come to at that particular point when you're having to decide like, okay, am I going to stay, you know, the poor starving artist or, you know, going to crank something out, you know, on a bigger scale, you know, which may afford other opportunities in the future, or do I stay to thy own self be true type thing? So monkey shines also marked Romero's second most expensive movie ever with a about a $7 million budget, which is just slightly under the budget for Creepshow. And as with all of his other films, despite the fact that, you know, he's working for a major studio, he insisted that, hey, we're still going to shoot this in and around Pittsburgh, just like I've done with all of my movies. And he was able to do that. So he shot in and around Pittsburgh. He even shot at his alma mater, uh, Carnegie Mellon University, for some scenes. And it was a pretty tough shoot by all accounts. Uh, it Production took place in the late summer, early fall of 1987. They shot for about 12 weeks. Uh, Christine Romero, his wife, Christine Forrest, who's in the film pretty prominently, commented that it was the toughest shoot we've ever had. And they, she said that they had shooting days that would last upwards of 12 hours. And then Romero would be in the editing suite. On He'd work six days a week. And then day seven, he's in the editing suite with Pasquale Buba editing the film as well. So it was a tough shoot. Uh, and, you know, while, of course, shooting in Pittsburgh is kind of the norm for Romero, as we've discussed, one thing that really differs in this film, I think, is the people that he surrounded himself with. Whether it, I'm not sure if it was a decision on his part or on the studios. Uh, I'm leaning toward it being the studios, but I can't confirm that. But Monkey Shines doesn't have like his typical crew, with the exception of Pasquale Buba, his editor. He doesn't have Michael Gornick, who'd done his last five movies with him. He doesn't have John Harrison doing the music or any second AD work who, and honestly, I think that I would have preferred John Harrison to do the music because I like his minimalist kind of scores for his previous films better than the one that the composer here, a guy named David Shire created for this. Cause I think that music in this is pretty cheesy and pretty soap opera-y, you know, like it's, it, I don't know. It's, it's very, if, imagine this movie with one of those like, synthesizer kind of scores that john harrison had done for the last couple movies that would be a lot more fun i think it would just change the whole vibe i think yeah i agree uh, th this movie was like a step away from like feeling like one of those tv movies in the 80s like yeah, oh, way. Yeah. yeah all of which were based on the same kind of novels that this was based on honestly <laughs> right I actually had the thought while I was watching it. Uh, I was like, God, I, you could see this on like Hallmark, the Hallmark channel. or Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, in the 80s, they had all those like CBS Lifetime movie even. of the weeks, you know, and yeah. they had all those things where, and a lot of them were thrillers like this. So it it definitely kind of fits in with that. And both in the, the cinematography and the music, I think, support that, what Gary's saying. I think that it absolutely feels like something like that. I don't know. $7 million is probably a lot for one of those movies, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Um, but yeah, you're right. Cinematography is yeah, a, a big part of that as well. Yeah. And of course, another complication that made this shoot pretty difficult was the fact that one of the main stars of the film was a monkey. So uh, monkeys are, you know. Not a real monkey, right? That was CG. No, yeah, CG. It's all <laughs> CG. It's very good CG. <laughs> now, so the monkey in this, it's a capuchin monkey is the, the breed. It was played by five different monkeys on set. It says in the credits that it was played by Boo. Ella is played by Boo. 
but Boo, I think, is just one of the five monkeys, and, and I think probably the one that does the close-ups was probably. Yeah, I was going to say I think one of what there was like one that they kept the close-ups on. I mean, people yeah. would know like it's clearly a different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously. When you said Ella was played by five monkeys, for some reason I pictured all these monkeys in a little like Ella suit, like well, they, they're, they're sitting, like they're sitting on top Todd, of each other's shoulders in a trench coat. It's a puppet. <laughs> they're puppeteering outside. Oh, they, they uh, the, the monkeys are the puppeteers. Yes. My bad. I'm sorry. Uh, well, yeah. It makes sense because they're the only ones that, that know what monkeys would really do. And, and How that monkeys would naturally move. Real movie magic. <laughs> Uh, but this turned out to be kind of a nightmare for the crew because trained or not monkeys tend to have a mind of their own and will often just do whatever the fuck they want to do. Uh, so as a result, there were times when getting a shot right would take like four hours. They'd have to do like 40 takes just to get the shot that Romero was going for. Uh, and the monkeys, they had handlers on set. Obviously they had, you know, uh, they had professionals on set who were trained in, in monkey handling. And uh, a weird term I never thought I'd use. Can you imagine if we had done this episode back when Beavis and Butthead was still on the air? <laughs> All the spanking the monkey jokes we would have made. It's just, oh man, a plethora uh, of One jokes. thing that those monkeys lacked was not, not necessarily control of their bowels, but they didn't give a shit where they gave a shit. They, uh, they Listen, would we're just... not done with monkey handling jokes yet, Justin. Come on. <laughs> no, we've moved on to poop jokes, Todd. <laughs> yeah, now not giving a shit where you take a shit. That's clever. I like that yeah, word that's play. Good. And they, they would just shit anywhere at any time, including on the, the shoulders of the, the handlers, the women who were carrying them around. They just like take a shit. Who cares? So there's this monkey shit all over the set having to be cleaned up all the time. I saw some stuff with Romero where he talked about, you know, like they, they wanted the affectionate scenes, which was like, of course, Jennifer's favorite scene, like just the uh, Ella hugging him and stuff like that. But I thought you meant the sex scene with the uh, the the strap. And yeah, well, no, because <laughs> now that was originally going to be with Ella. But oh, Jesus. <laughs> they, they just could not get her to cooperate. Hey, hey, do you think we ought to do this with a human? <laughs> we need to bring in a regular love interest please <laughs> let's just really not let him go down it's so odd uh, uh, that makes me think of the man with two brains have you George, ever seen the man with two George, brains I with uh ask you about this scene um, <laughs> have you ever seen the man with two brains with uh with steve martin the the yeah. carl reiner movie <laughs> yeah. i'm not gonna fuck a gorilla <laughs> Um, uh, but no, what I was going to say is they, uh, that, that uh, the monkeys don't get very affectionate. They don't get close with you, though. Oddly enough, this kind of plays into what we were just talking about. Uh, unless they're in heat. So remember what we're talking oh. about. They had to like wait for uh, the handler, the traders, to like call them and be like, all right, booze and heat, booze and heat, let's go. And so that they could film with, because uh, like she'd walk in and Jason Baggy, or is that his last name, Baggy? Baggy. Yeah. Uh, is like the first person she sees so she's like she's feeling very uh horny you know, uh, horny for for jason <laughs> and so so she'll so hug in the him scenes where she's hugging him. him is she actually just she's also very humping wet. him is she also humping him <laughs> the like, scenes where she's on? wet in the movie she's she's wet in the movie you know what i'm saying oh my god <laughs> 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 this is inappropriate inappropriate uh but jason Beggy does tell a great story too by the way about uh there's the scene 
where he would say that the the monkeys somebody asked him about pranks and he said oh yeah they they love playing pranks and so like boo there was a scene where she's uh feeding him grapes and or tried to put a grape in his mouth and, and they, then she just take a shit in his mouth <laughs> but she said he said he stands there and uh he's got to act it out with her and she you know he'd say he'll say like boo grape and one time she just like throws it in his face and then was like, Ooh, great. And then she'll just throw it off to the side. He's like, finally, she'd do it. So he's like, let me work with her for a little bit. See, see if I could get it down and then I'll tell you when we're ready and you can shoot it. So he said in there, boo, great, boo, great. And he says, so I have to have like my mouth open and be ready for it. And he's like, but then he's like the time we're like ready for it. I was like, boo, great. He's like, I have my mouth open wide. And she quickly flings the grape aside, reaches back, grabs a shit, and shoves it in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I was just joking. She really nope. did. That 100% <laughs> happened. And they said that, that, like, everybody was like, do we get it? And then he just smiles, and he has, like, very green teeth. Oh, gross. I kept trying to get Cat to feed me that way the other day, and it didn't go Her well. poop? What, the grapes well, or the poop? Listen, I'm uh, just saying way? at a certain point in your marriage you want to spice <laughs> it up a little bit mm. i think that's too much spice oh, sorry, guys. Uh, you know what? Enough, said, todd you know is what? also married to a capuchin monkey <laughs> also just so everybody knows <laughs> that's why all of these jokes it's it's really not uh harmful that i'm making jokes about sexual things with monkeys because it makes it's you were say sexual it's, things with my wife no no well well sort of i'm saying that it's it's making it inclusive for you and your wife is what I'm saying. We're, we're an inclusive podcast. We want everyone to feel yeah. like they belong here. There's something here for everybody. <laughs> so, of course, there were some shots in the film that even the most well-behaved monkey would not be able to pull off. So for those, Romero enlisted his old friend, Tom Savini. And Savini created basically monkey puppets for this because there's not a lot of gore in this one. So this is sort of building on the creature design that he did like in creep show, you know, where he's building, building puppets, building creatures. So he built four puppets, one of which was remote controlled. They nicknamed it robo chimp and each one, they were covered in like yak fur to make them look you know, realistic. And uh, Romero claimed that the robo chimp, this is a quote from Romero saved his ass since the real monkeys wouldn't cooperate sometimes and do what he wanted them to do. The robo monkey did not help the other monkeys cooperate either because they're yeah. just like, is this what you think of us, George? <laughs> they took is our this jobs. what we act like to you? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Savini, in addition Jack to those- like, <laughs> Really, George? <laughs> in addition to the puppets, he made these like fake monkeys that he'd hook onto strings. This is a very like lo-fi effect, which is I kind of love. So he would put it on, hook them to strings on a stick, like a fishing pole. And then he would place one and then, pull it out of frame really quick to make it look like it had like run or jump quickly out of frame, which, you know, is only on screen for a split second, but so it works, you know? And Savini nicknamed the fake monkeys Mo, Larry, and Curly so that he could just go like, hey, get me Mo for this shot or hey, get me Curly for this shot, which I kind of I kind of love. Why was yeah. there no shimp? I, I was going to say, mm. God, if they'd only had a shimp in there. Maybe that was the robot. Better, better question. Why Jump was there the ever chimp? a shimp? <laughs> because yes. didn't didn't curly die or something what why was isn't that why shimp came around yeah, yeah we'll, like we'll do a three stooges series one day oh thank we'll, god well, are we gonna do the movie we should <laughs> with that guy from the guy from silicon valley as mo god yeah. is that right i didn't yeah, that's realize the, that i've never seen the movie but oh, i know yes, the, guy the guy from mad tv is uh yeah, the guy who curly. plays mo is the guy from silicon valley that goes this guy fucks 
<laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yes, that same guy. He's great. For one scene, Savini even had to create an oversized monkey arm with an oversized razor in its hand because they could obviously they're not going to give a razor to a real monkey that would be not after last time (laughs) (laughs) there are some scenes where you can tell that it's like a fake monkey arm like when it's like lighting the matches towards the end you know it's very clearly like a fake monkey hand i was gonna say i figured anytime it showed up close of monkey hands doing anything it's not real like the monkeys aren't posing for the camera like right exactly exactly the razor hand scene actually mirrors a scene from romero's friend dario argento's film phenomena that came out a couple of years early 1985 i think it was uh, have you ever seen phenomena with jennifer Connolly? yes oh it's, yes it's pretty awesome yeah. I don't know why I said yes twice, but <laughs> I have. So, and for the finale, after you know, when when uh, it's better than deep red. Oh, Jesus, scary! <laughs> I'm just saying. We're not getting into this. We don't have time to get into this right now. <laughs> <laughs> for the finale, where uh, where Alan is fighting the monkey and biting him and you know, biting Ella, they needed a dead monkey to be thrown <laughs> on the floor. Right? They needed a dead monkey to flop on the floor after he you know bites him and kills him, and they decided that. It. They decided that a doll, they couldn't just use a doll. And they're, obviously, they weren't going to kill one of the monkeys. <laughs> so so Tom instead, Tom Savini instead, ordered a dead cat from a medical supply company called Carolina Biological. And then he gives the cat to the prop people to use it in the scene. And I'll be honest, once you know that and you see that scene, it is clearly a dead cat and not a monkey. <laughs> It is very clearly a dead cat. Uh, it also grossed Tom Savini out. I love this little tidbit about tom savini because we talked about this a little bit on creep show right how the roaches grossed him out like tom oh. savini is kind of squeamish when it comes <laughs> to stuff like that for a guy who creates such like gruesome fake effects like the like dead cats and roaches things like that gro- gross him out as they would gross out most people yeah. but you know you kind of think of him as being desensitized to that stuff but no not necessarily yeah, oh, apparently yeah. you can watch humans get fucked up all day, but that's yeah. Tom Savini's a serial killer. Is what we're trying to say. <laughs> no, dude, I watched Smoke and Mirrors a couple of days ago, the Tom Savini documentary that's on Shutter, and he just seems like the be- the best dude. Honestly, like he that's seems awesome. like the nicest dude, the the most chill, like humble guy, and like he basically gave up his career to take care of his daughter because his 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 daughter's uh, mother was unfit to be a, a mother. So he took full custody and basically stayed in Pittsburgh when he got the offer to move to LA with Greg Nicotero and start a company with Greg Nicotero. He decided to stay in Pittsburgh for his daughter's shape and sort of ended his uh, overall career as a makeup guy. As a result, wow. this explains yeah. that thing. I think I mentioned on one episode where uh, George starts working with uh, Nicotero or something oh, later on the dead. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they're like, he's like, I would have still worked with Savini, but he did, they wanted someone with assets that they could yeah, sue Savini for Savini at the time didn't really, I mean, he's got a school now, which does well. And he does consulting work now, but he even talks in that documentary about, and he actually says that in the interview in that documentary, this is kind of getting off subject, but in that interview, he says that the reason he stopped really doing effects work almost completely is because his hands are, like he's got like arthritis and stuff and he can't use his hands properly to be able to like sculpt the stuff like he used to. So he does a lot of consulting and stuff like that still. And he has a school and teaches, but he doesn't do any like hands-on work. He hasn't done a movie in years, like, you know, as a, as an effects guy. Now he still acts a lot. 
Yeah. But as an effects guy, he hasn't done it. And it's because he reveals in that documentary that it's because he can't, his hands are not working properly anymore. That's too bad. Yeah, which is kind of a bummer. But man, he just seems like the nicest dude. And I highly recommend Smoke and Mirrors, the Tom Savini story. If you have Shudder, it's on there. It is, you know, right at... I think I've seen, I've like scrolled past it and yeah. thought, like, I would enjoy that. Uh, it's, it's, you know, that's not breaking any new ground as far as you know, talking heads documentaries go, but it's just fun hanging out with Tom Savini for two hours and they interview yeah. Romero, they interview Nicotero and, you know, all these people who have worked with him over the years, they interview his daughter a lot. Like it's, it's really, he just seems like a good dude and it makes me happy that we're doing this series. Cause I'm like, I would, I would be friends with Tom Savini, you know? Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of, of love on online too from the George Romero Foundation too. Yes, I've yeah. Seen that from that, so th- those seem like some good people. By the way, they if do, you're not following the George Romero Foundation, you should. Yeah, I think it's uh, Garf Official. I think G- the Garf Official on Twitter. Anyway, we're following them. Just look at our. Or we, we've retweeted quite a lot of their stuff. So, uh, yeah, they're doing good work up in Pittsburgh, carrying on the legacy of Mr. Romero up there and and teaching uh, teaching folks up in Pittsburgh, young kids how to make how to make movies. I just thought it was an interesting thing to bring up just because of uh I think we we picked two great guys to to start off this series with. We did, yeah. Yeah, they both done, have done great work and have great legacies. So, once again on this movie we we mentioned Greg Nicotero just now, but that was he was Savini's assistant again on this. And Gary mentioned this I think back in our Day of the Dead episode that Greg Nicotero had wanted to be a doctor. He was going to medical school. And it was around the time of this movie or in between the two movies, I guess that Nicotero basically decided to leave the medical field, leave the medical school completely to work full-time with Savini. And he's a millionaire now. So, you know, that worked out well for him. He's doing fine. Uh, And he actually has a small cameo in this film as a doctor, (laughs) kind of in honor of the life that he left behind. They give him a, a small cameo in the movie. So the film's distributor, or Orion Pictures, you, you guys know Orion. They're actually back now, which is kind of cool. You know, you're seeing their logo again because that that logo brings back so many, like, nostalgic memories. Oh, yeah, years, same. Yeah. You know? uh, but at the time of this movie coming out, they were in kind of dire financial straits. Uh, they were they were desperate for a hit. I mean, they had, had a string of unsuccessful films, um, which would eventually include this one. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> they they really wanted a hit with this movie. And they forced Romero to add a happy ending to the film. Something that, of course, as we've seen, Romero had long avoided in lieu of something more nihilistic or at least more ambiguous in his endings on on previous films. Yeah, this is the one where uh, I think I mentioned it back on another episode, but that... What I don't remember, I don't think he named a name or anything on who specifically it was, but that like, you know, he was fighting, you know, we, we talked famously last week about like him saying no or, you know, that kind of thing uh, being one of his legacies that he would be willing to say no to things. But in this one that they were like, yeah, okay, you can keep your ending, but if you do it, this movie will open in flight somewhere. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. how we'll do this. And <laughs> yeah, so he was obviously not very happy with that. He didn't have a great experience on this film. The, the, ending that he had originally intended was going to conclude the film the same way that the novel concludes, which is that Alan does not recover from his accident. He doesn't get that, that surgery at the end that fixes him basically. Yeah. Uh, And then to add insult to injury, after some poor preview screenings, the studio recut the film without Romero's knowledge. And then they added a like kind of shock ending at the end, uh, which I, I am assuming that that refers to the, 
monkey. alien chestburster alien chestburster <laughs> monkey at the end which to be fair is a very fun effect right. uh even though it doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the film it's a fun visual you know yeah. i think right because it is i exact exactly what i thought was alien chestburster monkey like to be, honest, both- to be honest when the movie didn't cut to black right there and roll credits i was a little disappointed i wish I like, it had oh, right i wish that would have been leave it. <laughs> if, you're, if you're gonna throw that ending in there i mean it's very much like carrie and you know these oh, things, yeah friday the 13th like movies with these dream endings like for mm-hmm. a shock but it would have been a, it's a fine enough ending you know and and, and a little more ambiguous you know I want to I want to tread carefully here when I talk about the because I don't want to sound I don't want to be insulting and I don't think I am but like for the ending of this movie I what I was thinking as I was watching that is like they're, they're literally pushing a guy in a wheelchair behind him and then this guy gets up to walk and I'm like this is kind of bullshit. Like, like not everybody gets this ending and yeah. not everybody gets to walk again. I was like, this feels like it's kind of insulting. And I'm like, and then they're pu- pushing this poor dude behind him in a wheelchair, like across yeah. the street for no other reason. I'm like, why are you doing that? Like, <laughs> this guy's not going to walk anymore. Yeah. But this guy, this yeah, guy that, got this surgery. other guy's fucked, but our hero is going to be fine. Yeah. And I'm like, what a hot new girlfriend. Like, he's got a, you know. And it's and it's like I, I even looked at the I was thinking like what's the nurse's plan like in the movie world? This is like hey look at this guy hey watch him get out of his chair you can't do that. <laughs> it's just like why are they even doing that? I don't know. The whole thing bothered me. I hated that ending. the The original ending played into the original e- ending that Romero had in mind played into the scene of the animal rights activist who, who we see spray painting the building where Jeffrey works, you know, and he like yeah. kind of runs them off uh, because in the final film, that scene never is recalled again. Like it never really amounts to anything at all in the film. Yeah. But so there was an issue of premier magazine that was published uh, just before the film came out. They kind of described the original ending, which it said that there was a group of protesters gathered outside of the lab and then a, a scientist which the way they describe it, they don't say, but I am assuming it's Stephen Root's character, gets hit with a rock. And then he threatens to unleash, this is a quote, a whole platoon of killer monkeys that had been developed inside the lab as a result of Jeffrey's exper- experiment. So the idea is that maybe he's been injecting all of these monkeys with the brain matter or whatever it was. And now they're all like super intelligent monkeys. It's basically rise of the planet of the apes at this point is the nice. end of the movie is what's happening. That'd be which cool. I think incredible yeah (laughs) that sounds like a great ending and opens you up to you know crossovers the war for the planet of the apes yeah yeah (laughs) basically whatever romero's version of that was gonna be maybe Uh, that is what he was going for that's kind of crazy when you when you say that like because that's that is the perfect like original like the the prequel to planet of the apes yeah. you know like that's the fir- perfect lead in yeah instead of jeff instead of jason uh Bege, it's it's uh it's james franco yeah exactly <laughs> i mean it's kind of the similar story it's so weird yeah, so the I'd film like to, was I'd like, I'd like to see franco in a wheelchair oh that's rude wow. sorry <laughs> <laughs> wow <laughs> got dark real fast i mean, oh, I mean sorry he, sorry I mean, guys i mean franco's had some you know things accused he's been accused of some things but yeah i'm not gonna wish crippling on oh, sorry on i just uh, 
I, it's the pain meds, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, Todd's on pain meds today. You, you wish him watch dead out. or not at all, Todd. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you better watch out, Todd. That karma is going to come back on you. I, Todd's yeah. got a broken. Todd sprained his butt. <laughs> I'm just going to throw this out there. Todd sprained his butt uh, this week. And, yeah. Sorry. Uh, so you better be quiet. Or you're I know. I know. Wheelchair and oh, and God. you don't have a you don't have a an Ella to take care of you. I know. I mean, I, you got a wife, but she's she's not gonna feed you. She's great. not. She's not gonna throw poop at me like I want. You know? <laughs> and there's a ninety percent chance that you'll meet James Franco and he'll just like <laughs> f you right in the mouth. <laughs> oh, so, cinema chair. shock. <laughs> Putting the shock in cinema shock. So this film was released on July 29th, 1988. It was released officially, if you look at the posters, as Monkey Shines, an experiment in fear. Um, but Monkey Shines is kind of a goofy name. I actually looked up what Monkey yeah. Shines means, and because it, and it's a term for like monkey business, like shenanigans. Yeah. yeah. So I can kind but of... But shenanigans doesn't work as well as a title. Monkey shenanigans, would I would watch that movie. <laughs> no, just shenanigans should have been just the name. Shenanigans. And I'm sure there's already a movie called Monkey Business. I know there's a movie called Monkey Trouble, because I've seen it, and it's, you know, delightful. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I guess that they it's kind of a goofy title, so I guess they want the producers wanted to make sure people knew this was supposed to be like a horror movie. Uh, yeah. Or a thriller, at least. Yeah, there were a few other titles that were considered before they landed on that. Those were Ella. Yeah, I just kind of like that better. Yeah, I think that's a better name. The Primate was one of them, which is kind of bland. And Monkey See, Monkey Do was one of the titles that were batted around. It's also yeah. accurate. Yeah. Not <laughs> not less goofy than Monkey Shines. That's true. That's <laughs> not true. <less>. so. <laughs> Uh, monkey see monkey do do hey, yeah know. that's that, more that's like the sequel <laughs> that's that's definitely the sequel <laughs> oh man because uh, now i can picture God. the executive trying to pitch them on the title <laughs> no 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 it's a good idea listen yeah. listen you weren't on set for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> the movie when it was released was met with mixed reviews uh it, it was also met with a pretty tepid response from audiences it made like $5.3 million at the box office during its run. And this is over the course of like, you know, this is the late 80s. Things weren't out in the movies for, they weren't out in theaters for a couple of weeks. This was like 20 weeks that it was out in theaters, made $5 bucks on a $7 million budget. Wow. The film was also met with criticism uh, from some disability rights organizations because of some of the early promotional material that showed a toy monkey in a wheelchair. Also, the original trailer, I think, referred to the wheelchair as like a prison, you know? So they were like, this is not cool, man. Like, <laughs> so, so on the Saturday of the weekend that the film opened, members of one of the groups formed a picket line with wheelchairs at the Hollywood Pacific Theater. So there's just a bunch of wheelchairs lined up in front of the theater. And uh, one of the members of that group, the group was called ADAPT. Uh, which stands for American Disabled for Attendant Programs Today, because they actually worked with uh, like helper animals, helper monkeys. And they were quoted, one of, the, one of those members was quoted by a newspaper as saying, the idea of a monkey attendant turning into a monster is appalling. Like they were, they were not happy about the basic premise of this movie. And I get, I get that to an extent, at least on the marketing front, because the marketing, you know, that is a little offensive, you know, yeah. to, to disabled people, but 
Orion Pictures would eventually issue a public apology, and they promised to consult disability experts for promotional materials of upcoming projects, which makes it sound like they had a whole string of projects coming up that involved like people oh, in God. wheelchairs. We got all these people got, in wheelchair movies lined know, up. What are we going to do? These, we bought all these wheelchairs. Damn it. <laughs> So, I don't know what that's just the dumbest Some executive. Oh, so now I got to hire a special guy. All right. I wonder it's if just, any of these people had ever seen the movie though, because maybe they went, you know, because well, he was pretty capable. I mean, although this was, was before the theater was probably handicap accessible. So <laughs> it just didn't. <laughs> I'm just I'm was sorry. that too much? I, yeah, this, I don't know. I don't know. We're gonna get tweets. <laughs> we'll, fi- we'll find out. We're gonna get Great. some tweets. I'm just saying that you know they <laughs> never mind. I'm just we, oh, I, we know what you're saying. <laughs> we get, we get the joke. <laughs> oh, uh, so I don't think personally. I don't think that it's. I mean, we'll, I'll get y'all's opinion on it. It sounds like we we all land kind of in the same boat on this one, but. I don't think it's blasphemous necessarily to call Monkey Shines one of Romero's like lesser works. Yeah, uh, I think it mostly lacks the socio-political underpinnings of his other work that we've discussed in the series. There's some of that. I mean, there's a little bit of that because there you could say that I was I was trying to find it. I mean, honestly. you could say that he's making some statements about you know medicine, big pharma, that kind of stuff. Oh, and especially you could probably say something about animal rights and animal experimentation. But it kind of gets lost. I mean, it's really not as defined as in some of his other work. Well, even in that case, I don't know that that's near and dear to George Romero's heart in terms of issues to discuss through his films. Right, right. You know, it comes off half-hearted at best. Well, and you know what drives me nuts, too, is that, again, with the ending, is that it it takes away, I mean, back to, you know, I probably badly joked around about this, but the... The idea that this guy gets up and walks at the end, I feel like is still insulting. Like I just, and especially when he proves that like this guy, I mean, this guy survives this whole ordeal as a quadriplegic. Like he, he's still capable. capable. He 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 murdered a monkey. Well, with his mouth. I mean, that, that was, I mean, that, that is the most important thing that he did in this movie. Sure. (laughs) But I'm just saying he also was, Learning to survive. Well, and he, he also, this also features a sex scene, by the way. He also gave a woman oral pleasure. Well, yeah. So with that I'm saying <laughs> that throughout the movie, it shows that like, even as a quadriplegic, this guy is capable of lots of things. Like he's yeah. fine. Like, I mean, not, you know what I mean? I'm so, just saying. So he, so he really handled her monkey? No. Well, not really. His that hands not, didn't work. <laughs> so I'm saying that she... In, in the scheme of things, she made herself handicap accessible. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then he was able to work with that, is what I'm saying. And he's you're saying he's handicapped. He's, he's he shoot he proved to be handicapable. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um we're gonna be in trouble for this episode. I right? feel like we are, and I and I don't uh you know. With, I'm, I'm trying to I was trying to stick to the point that the guy was very capable as a he human being capable, yeah. and still a very valid human being he was yeah he didn't to have to be deal, deal with his quote, disability well he, well he didn't have to be quote unquote fixed to live you know he, he proved that he could live his life as as he was you yeah know? and this woman he, fell he in love with him as was and like all of this stuff like it was nothing this was just a, a part of his life and so I feel like that ending like it's kind of a that fuck all you. away yeah yeah, yeah. So, I agree I with that. that ending. 
Uh, I hate it too. I mean, I, I agree. And I mean, there's, there's stuff to like about the movie. I think, I mean, it's not a bad movie. It's just when you compare it to some of Romero's other works, it's, it's a middle of the road movie, you know, it's, it's entertaining enough, you know, for the most part, it does kind of touch on something that even Romero's zombie films kind of touch on, which is kind of our internal instincts as humans. I mean, I'm thinking of like, Dawn of the Dead, which is talking about our capitalistic tendencies, you know, like people are automatically drawn to this shopping center. But in this one, it's sort of commenting on more something even more internal than that, which is like our animal impulses, our our id for the lack of a better term, because that's basically what Ella represents in the movie. I mean, because we see as they develop this uh, this mental, this telepathic connection that she is sort of, Alan's like an angry person. Alan's an angry, an angry man. He's angry at the cards that life has dealt him. And Ella is sort of Alan's, that rage externalized, these yeah. feelings that he might suppress otherwise, like she's acting them out because she's connected to his mind and his feelings. Yeah, um, I, I know that in, in some stuff I read from Romero that he was really focused in on, uh, the, the, he even said that, that he didn't feel like the book went into this enough, um, the Jekyll and Hyde aspect of yeah. his personality. and Which is interesting and considering one of Romero's later movies is going to be, which we're not going to talk about on this show, on this series at least, but The Dark Half is very much a Jekyll and Hyde story. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you definitely see some parallels there. And, um, but that, that's one of the important aspects he wanted to, to get over. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, you're right. That the baser instincts of a human, um, that's a interesting aspect that he's trying to explore here. My thing that I realized with this one, I think is that I feel like Romero is just, I mean, we already know this from everything we talked about, but well, like, for example, right here, I overexplain things. I try to go around the uh, everything to get to my point. I feel right, like Gary. Romero has that same thing. I feel like Romero has a lot of things he wants to get out, and he has trouble editing it, editing it down. And then the studio got a hold of this movie, and they chopped it up too much. Right. And so none of his stuff made sense. But if you take things like, for instance, like the protesters or like his mother storyline, and that subplot, like the, those kind of things, on one hand, they don't even need to be there necessarily. The reason right. they're there, I think, is for, well, to give you some insight into why Romero's very focused on the characters more so than any of the horror ever. Like it, right. that just always seems like his thing. So he really wants to explain to you why Alan is this way and like why Alan would have so much rage. Look at all the things going on in his life right now that are causing him to go crazy a little bit sometimes. And, uh, and so he's trying to play all of this out in this movie that is going to be a, uh, you know, a hot, like you've got an hour and a half to do this. You, that's all you're going to get. And we're going to chop it up. Until well, it the thing there. is that he got, he used two hours to get to it. Uh, <laughs> not yeah. an hour and a half. And I think, so Roger Ebert in his review, who, who he did not like the movie, he gave it, I think, two and a half stars. He said, there's a quote from Roger Ebert's review, somewhere within this movie's two hours or so is hidden an absolutely spellbinding 90-minute thriller. And I think that hits the nail on the head. Yeah. I think because yeah, the movie, it does close. take a while to get going. I mean, but you could, if it were a little more tightly edited, 
I think that, and, and maybe some of the subplots either excised or really trimmed down. I think you could really, I don't know. I, th- I think it could, I think it would work better. I think that this is the kind of movie, this is the kind of movie that needs to be 90 minutes. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah I think the problem is, is that like they, they wanted to keep the mother storyline because there's a body. <laughs> like I, I well I sure and he and he like got that. Joyce Van Patten in the role so he wanted you know this is part of Romero's uh like we talked about on on especially uh, Creep Show how he likes to he he's uh casting old Hollywood types you know like he's doing that again with Joyce Van Patten and she's really good in it she's yeah. very good in it so he probably yeah. had a hard time cutting some of her stuff even though there's enough early on to like get the point across. You don't need all of it to get the point across that she's the sort of overbearing mother type who just needs to take care of them, you know, and, and he doesn't, he's fairly independent, doesn't necessarily need someone. She's, she's the easy go-to just because you're like, the second that you're obviously a person focused on your physical fitness, like which they established right at the beginning with that, butt. Uh, yeah, he he has like He's literally naked. Yeah, yeah, he has my exact same morning routine. And <laughs> I thought that was footage of you, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Because <laughs> my ass looks like that. Um, the you know you establish that he's very concerned with himself physically, and then it's all taken away from him immediately. That's already like that's base enough for like your you know, for a reason being why frustrated. Yeah, yeah. And then his, his girlfriend leaves him for Stanley Tucci. Yeah. And you've got, I mean, so like all of this stuff is like extra layers on this, this cake. And it's yeah. like, it, you get it all the stuff with the bird, like with Christine Forrest Sure, the, the bird, bird is, is like another like little piece. That's like, take it or leave it. Like, yeah. Yeah. It, it's there to show like the first glimpse of the monkey will fucking murder something. Right. You know? Yeah. Which, I mean, I get, but I feel like some of that could have been trimmed down. I feel like you could have taken a half an hour out of this movie. And I'm never one to really complain about movies being long. And two hours is not long for a movie. But for this story, I think it's a little much, personally. I think it's unnecessary. I think this is the kind of movie that needs to be, like, like Ebert said, like a slick, trim, lean 90 minutes. Right. Uh, yeah. But it is undoubtedly one of Romero's most well-crafted films in terms of like quality. I mean, it's got slick production design. Uh, it kind of re- it doesn't look at all like the the kind of scrappy independent stuff that he'd done before, uh, with the exception probably of Creep Show. Uh, but you know, it doesn't matter how good it looks on the surface if you know the the meat of the story doesn't quite work out. And 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 you know, watching trained animals on screen is always really fun. <laughs> you know, that's always, yeah. and watching trained monkeys is always kind of fascinating. Uh, but there's, I don't know, there's just something missing about this movie that makes it feel something that's essential to what makes a Romero film, a Romero film yeah. is missing from this movie. To me. I feel like a big part of it is when you talk about a Romero movie, at least for me from now on, I think of a Romero movie is actually like this, circle of friends like this 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 hanging one, out making movies yeah hanging out this doesn't movies, even though this was fun. made in pittsburgh it doesn't feel like that regional style filmmaking that his other movies do exactly and so now now a, a big studio is involved now something feels a little i don't know maybe maybe for them it wasn't this way but it feels like there was a little something extra added in that just made everybody a little bit more uncomfortable or a little 
things were different now. Right. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it just didn't feel exactly the same. So I don't know. Um, I mean, it meddling does, definitely has an impact though. Sure. Sure. And it does have, you know, kind of shades of something like Martin, which is like a, a character study, but with genre elements, you know, right. Yeah. Or, or even like, like Night Riders, where Night Riders, as we discussed, was a very personal film for Romero, both and like kind of his mission statement in making film. And he does do some stuff here that I, I find very interesting that I feel like has that personal touch. So there's an article that I read on Birth Movies Death that Brian Collins wrote. And he said that here's a guy, this is a quote from Brian, here's a guy who found himself boxed in, unable to operate the way he was used to. So he's talking about, of course, Alan, but he could also very well be talking about Romero. Yeah. Here's a guy who we, we know that he's compromised before. He compromised on Day of the Dead because he was either going to have to release a film that was compromised by its rating and get that R rating, but get the budget he wanted or get something closer to what, you know, get all the gore and the things that he wants to put in the film, but compromise on ha by having a lower budget. And then... and. and even with monkey shines, he found himself in a situation where he couldn't really comfortably work within the studio system, which is again, something that he'd always fought, but he could no longer secure the budgets that he needed to execute his ideas in the world of indie filmmaking. So he was kind of at a, between a rock and a hard place. So yeah. he, you, you can see this being a very personal take on that, like where he's almost putting himself in Allen's, Spot Allen was this guy who was a championship runner who is now in a position where he can no longer do what he loves to do and has to kind of figure out how to exist again, you know? So you can definitely feel that in this. It's just that as a whole, it doesn't quite coalesce. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I, I found myself like, I guess two thirds of the way through the movie, just going, I'm not sure I take any of this seriously. Like this, it was, it was right. just, it, it was, it was really hard. It was keep really waiting hard on to, to get into the monkey business. Right. <laughs> I keep waiting on that monkey to fuck some people up. And yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, to be honest, like, could they have chosen a more adorable killer? I mean, I mean it was, it Ella, was Ella's super cute throughout her boo is yeah. super cute in, in her role as, as, as uh, Ella. And this is her, her first and last movie that I know of. And it's too bad. <laughs> yeah, I look, she's, she's on IMDb problems. and she only has one entry. <laughs> right. <laughs> she is on IMDb. I, That's awesome. I, I was looking at, at IMDb and I saw her list and I was like, oh, does she have an entire like CV on here? No, it's just this one movie. On <laughs> I'll there, tell you but. what's really disappointing is that that puppet that you mentioned earlier, the, the commercials that, that had an issue. Uh, all I can find is the one with it sitting in a wheelchair. The wheelchair is never the part that I remember. I just remember the wide eyes and it's slinging, yeah. slinging those. Uh, uh, it's great marketing, honestly. Yeah, it was a creepy looking image. And mm -hmm. I remember as a kid seeing that come on the television and being creeped out by that. I totally remember that. Yeah. Hating that commercial. And uh, I tried looking it up on YouTube because I felt like there was one that was just silent with that thing going. And that's yeah. how I have it in my memory. And I couldn't find exactly that. But it's just uh, that, th that thing is it's not, it's not even in the movie at all. Not at all. <laughs> and Romero, you know, he, he tried even after this. 
for years to make movies within the studio system, including another one with Orion, which was The Dark Half, came out in 1993, based again on a Stephen King novel. The Dark Half was barely released. So, I mean, it, so we talk about Orion being in, in kind, of, kind of dire financial straits with this movie. By time Dark Half came out, like they were really struggling and Dark Half sat on the, on the shelf for like two years, I think, before it got released. So they barely like promoted it and it just kind of disappeared. It's a, it's a fine movie. It's okay. It's not bad. Uh, you know, it's not up to par with some of Romero's earlier work, but it's it's worth checking out. It's got a really good performance by Timothy Hutton uh, in the lead role. If you, you know, for those not familiar with Timothy Hutton, uh, if you've seen the, the Haunting of Hill House, then you you've seen them, but spending those time, the time working on those studio gigs also cost Romero other gigs in the 1990s. He spent years developing a movie that never even happened, but during, because he was developing it for so long, it cost him the job of doing the mummy. He was supposed to do the mummy remake though. The one with not necessarily the version with Brendan Fraser, but when universal was developing you know, when they had the idea to do a new mummy movie, Romero was the guy that they wanted to do it initially. And it wasn't going to be like the action adventure that it became, but he was the, the original guy working on that. He was also supposed to direct pet cemetery, Oh wow! but post-production issues on, on this movie on monkey shines caused him to have to bow out of that one. So he ended up not doing pet cemetery. Yeah. That would have been cool. Either, either of those would have been, I'd like to see those that, one of the cool awesome. things with yeah, you know, one of the cool things with Romero is besides his friends, though, uh, it's worth mentioning. Just I mean, we, we kind of touched on it, but the just he's good at casting, or at least his yeah. wife is, or whatever. I don't know. Like I, I don't I, I didn't see if she did the casting in this. I don't one. think she did it on this one, but uh but I, I'm not hundred percent sure. So don't all, all of these people are like new. I mean, a lot of names you'll recognize, but I mean, this is I think Stephen Root was like nobody before yeah so like a crocodile dundee two like cameo kind of thing stanley tucci had not done much prior to this yeah Yeah. Um, he had been in like a few things they'd all done like small like bit roles or either uh like tv show like one episode at a show like miami vice or something you know like they'd all been and jason begay like he he is not someone that i'm necessarily familiar with although if you look at his imdb he's been in quite a lot of stuff since this Almost always playing a cop. <laughs> almost <Yeah. laughs> always playing a cop. He just has that look to him, you know. He's got the yeah. look of the voice, and for he's it. fine in this. I mean, he's he's okay in this. I think he's not he's not bad, but I do love his um, delivery when he's threatening Boo. He's like, "I'm gonna rip your fucking heart out," or you know, yeah. like that scene. I think is a, I think that's really good. His yeah. teeth are very strange. Yeah. He's got um, he's got room for more. He's got he's well he's got yeah he's got a gap there in the middle, but his <laughs> his canines. Are very are sharp, very sharp. Like was that a, like prosthetic. Very, I thought it might be prosthetic. It like looks was, a lot like the monkey. I was about to say. <laughs> I, I thought that was prosthetic. Like they were trying to show he was like sort the of coming a beast, you know? Yeah, or something. I don't know, but uh, I don't know. I never. I didn't see anything about that being prosthetic, so I don't know. Yeah, I honestly can't say. Yeah, I guess the only one in this who is uh, was already well established at the time was Joyce Van Patten. Oh, I thought it was the monkey. Sorry. No, the monkey was very first, young. The last role for the <laughs> monkey. Last, no, yeah, no. You Kate McNeil, uh, she is. Uh, she was in the House on Sorority Row. Yeah, which was prior to this, I believe, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's before before this. So. She's also in Sudden Death. 
after yeah. this. Oh yeah, yeah, she is. She's the girl in sudden death. <laughs> but but oh, no. I think the biggest ones to come out of this are probably. I mean, Beggy is in like. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but Chicago Fire. And yeah, all yeah, he's movies. a big TV guy now. I mean, he's oh, he's had yeah. a pretty uh, pretty successful career in television again, playing like cops or or you know. But Stanley Tucci and Steven Root are by far like the like they they're both like character actors that have like right a hundred roles at least, and so. Uh, but I, he made me think of Upgrade in this movie i was trying to think of like you know like the person yeah. who's having to act with only like the neck up you know yeah, <laughs> it was just yeah. interesting and and i guess in that sense like even the idea that uh, you know for him it's a monkey but like your your other part of you is doing something that you can't control you know just yeah interesting i'm sure it's not those upgrades not the only other movie like that but it's it's immediately what i thought of for some reason so after this you know romero <laughs> We talked about how he kind of struggled to get any studio movies made, and he, other than the dark half, the movie we're going to talk about next week is actually a movie that fell in between Monkey Shines and the dark half, and it was a movie that was not made at all with the uh, Hollywood studios because it was it was an Italian production that was barely released in the U.S. when it came out, and I honestly don't know. I haven't researched you know the behind the scenes on this yet, but I have a feeling there's probably not a lot of information out there about you know, the making of this movie. But we're gonna we're gonna find out <laughs> you know next <laughs> week how much information we can find because this is kind of a a very little seen movie within Romero's filmography. It's a movie from 1990 called Two Evil Eyes. And it was actually an anthology film, but not like Creepshow where it's, you know, five different stories. It's two different stories, one of which is directed by Romero and one of which is directed by Dario Argento. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be an interesting, almost outlier in this series, but Romero and Savini did collaborate on Romero's half of the film. So and, wow. but, and so it's gonna it's gonna be a fun one to talk about because I've actually never seen Two Evil Eyes. I was I've never seen it either. Thinking of Deep Red though, a and a lot of what I said about Romero, I could totally see why him and Argento are best buds. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, mean I I love Argento. You know, I love Argento, and and I'm excited to watch it. It's just one that's always eluded me for some reason, and I don't know why. But I'm gonna watch it this week, so we'll you know we'll see how it holds up. Is this the last one in the Romero Savini? No, we, we're going to be doing the um, Night of the Living Dead remake. Oh, that's right. After that's that, right. which yeah. Romero, of course, didn't really have anything to do with creatively, but he was an executive producer. And that feels like a good end, you know, cap since we started with the original Night of the Living Dead. So, right yeah. on. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, and um, we'll be done. Well, then we'll be moving on to something else. It's worth mentioning, by the way, I just want to establish that uh, if, if I was offensive to our handicapped brothers and sisters, I apologize. I was not trying to be. I was just... Maybe I'm, I'm sure I'm sure they'll move on. Uh, Jesus Todd. <laughs> Gary has Gary t- Gary tries to suppress his edge lord tendencies Sorry. most of the time. Just trying to sometimes right he just can't help it. I'm just trying uh, to balance the equation just, here. If there's a joke, sometimes I, I can't stop it and uh it just comes <laughs> out. But but seriously, I'm trying to also focus on the fact that this movie makes a very capable like person, like a, 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 the ending. Shut up, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> no, Todd, I don't know. I just feel like Todd's going to make some comment. But anyway, <laughs> I just wanted to get that out of the way. I also wanted to say that uh, I one of the funny quotes I saw from Romero about this movie is I saw him at the TIFF festival. They were talking to him about Monkey Shines and they were like, uh, 
yet again, you didn't compromise. Like you, you know, you, you showed a uh, sex scene with maybe the first time or the, with a quadriplegic in a sex scene. And so you, no comp, no compromise from George Romero. And he's like, I didn't go in for close-ups. I compromised. <laughs> so, <laughs> I just, uh, I really like nice. that out of him. That's a great, I love him. He's, he's, he's <laughs> amazing. What an amazing character he is. Yeah. Yeah, it just seems like a really good dude. Just yeah, all in all. He really man. does. He really does. So we're going to be talking about Two Evil Eyes next week. You can find out where to stream that by visiting cinemashock.net. Just click on any of the recent episodes and you'll see a link to uh, to where you can stream all of our kind of upcoming episodes. So I've, I've been doing that on, on our all of our entries. So like if you go on the entry to this episode, for instance, on our website, you'll see a link to where you can stream Two Evil Eyes and where you can stream Night of the Living Dead 1990. So you can do your you know, kind of your homework coming up because we do want our listeners to watch these movies along with us because that's kind of, obviously we're talking very heavily in spoilers on all of these episodes. So we're, we're, we're discussing them with the assumption that you have seen or have watched them recently. But we want this to be like your, you know, your weekly movie club. And hey, it's Halloween season right now. You should be watching a horror movie every day anyway, right? So you know, make at least a couple of those some Romero Savini movies. Absolutely. And also visit monkeyhelpers.org, which is the home of Helping Hands. Uh, they're a nonprofit organization that helps adults with spinal cord injuries and other mobility impairments live more independent and engaged lives by providing you with your own murderous monkey. Wow. And uh, probably not murderous. Hopefully but, not murderous, but, you know, they're teachable. <laughs> if you want them to be they're trying so, to so either way then <laughs> all right you guys have anything else to add about monkey shines before we sign off no i don't think so i think i've said enough it's a laugh it's enough. a laugh riot <laughs> i do want to know real quick before we sign off todd where what what are your because we're, we're nearing the end of this series mm-hmm. next week will officially be the last romero uh directed mm-hmm. one that we're going to do Wh- what are your kind of thoughts on on the romero filmography so far like wh- like where do you rank them like what are your th- overall because you know me and gary have seen probably more of these movies prior to the series than you have i think uh yeah probably you guys uh you guys while both of you had some uh religious upbringing um mine took it as far as to not show me a lot of really cool movies <laughs> Oh, I saw I saw them on my own. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I've really I I have enjoyed the series so far. I think it's I think it's a um, you know a testament. Maybe there's you know some young filmmakers out there listening. So I, if they're trying to get their career started, I think it's important to realize that even you know some of the greats, uh, you know Romero Savini, um, not everything that they had was gold like that you know in compromising it you know takes a lot of that passion out of the movie and it comes through it translates to the audience it absolutely does and you know it's they're fun and i and i enjoy them but if if you go into it with like okay i'm a big zombie fan so i'm only gonna watch the zombie stuff if it's a it's a horse that you can beat to death really quick so you gotta you know that's why people like to save this stuff for halloween you know for the month of october it's when they actually sit down and watch 
those movies and revisit some of those movies. You you know, you don't want to do it all the time. Otherwise, it'll, you know, it'll lose its magic, its spark. But well, I disagree on that. Point, well, okay. <laughs> well, it's because I'm clearly not a horror guy. You're not a horror guy. I mean, yeah. it's fine. Um, not everyone is. But yeah, it's there. I think they're a lot of fun. And I think they do. Um, they are worth talking about, especially the ones where, you know, George Romero was um, and uh, whoever was holding the pen on 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 these films. You know, when they actually do try to convey stuff, I think it's important to look closer and analyze that and even compare it to what's whatever's going on today. And we I know we've mentioned that already more than once in the series that some of the things that he was talking about are still very, very re- relevant, sadly relevant today. Yeah. And um, it's, it's great. Like, I mean, you know, okay. So maybe I'm not into everything, but I've, I have enjoyed, I have enjoyed talking about these with you guys. What's been your favorite and least favorite movies so far? Uh, I think my most favorite, um, probably not surprising. I, I really enjoyed, um, you know, because I look at them as two different genres. I, I think Dawn of the Dead's my favorite horror thing, and Night Riders is my favorite, I'll say, adventure character study thing. My least favorite, um, in terms of the horror thing or character development. It's got to be Martin. I just, it just, it just didn't hit with me. You know how sometimes you watch a movie and you love it, but then there's sometimes where you watch a movie, you're not super into it. And just because of where you are, maybe it just doesn't hit with you. And then you revisit it later and be like, oh yeah, this is actually really good. Yeah, yeah. I'm waiting for the day when I revisit Martin and kind of really enjoy it. There's a Blu-ray coming out next year. So yeah, for what what? it's worth, a Blu-ray coming out. They're finally putting it out on Blu-ray special edition next year. Okay. So that that will hopefully provide some cool behind the scenes stuff too. That would be cool. Yeah. I'd be into that. Uh, For, for what it's worth, uh, what I was going to say is that I I think Knight Riders has made, I haven't had a chance to do it, but Knight Riders makes me want to watch Martin again because really, because I'm not kidding about Knight Riders. Like I say it every episode now since we reviewed it, but like Knight Riders is legitimately like it, it's, I love that movie. I think it is Romero's best film uh, so far, even uh, up until monkey shines, at least it's still <laughs> his best movie. And uh, I think that there's something, I don't know. Like I, it made me rethink Romero all the way around and so i'm learning something on this series even as a horror fan that like romero was more than a horror than a zombie guy yeah he was more than a zombie guy he was he 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 actually was a filmmaker and it just so happened that he was very good at doing it in a horror way (laughs) and so he just you know that's where he was at but he had more in the tank than just that but anyway but it's just interesting i i I, it it makes me want to go back and watch martin you were talking about martin um i think i went into it with the wrong attitude possibly and i just need to re-watch it now that you kind of see that what what romero can do with more more character stuff i get that yeah yeah well cool well thank you guys again for listening if you want to follow the show we are at cinema underscore shock on Twitter and Instagram. You can also find us on Facebook. Just search for Cinema Shock. And I am at Justin underscore Bishop if you want to follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxd. How about you, Mr. Horn? I am at This Is Gary Horn. 
everywhere. And Todd? And I'm at at Mr. Todd A. Davis, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and D&D Beyond. D&D Beyond. Todd's trying to make it happen, guys. (laughs) (laughs) This is so Among other things. (laughs) Ryan is trying to make it happen. Well, until next week. May the wings of liberty never lose a feather. And be excellent to each other. Johnny has the keys. Jesus. Oh, Todd. Weird. I, just, I tried to like like a band-aid, just real quick. Get it in there. You know. Gary, you weren't quick enough in hitting the stop record button. <laughs> no, I feel like it, I would have even accepted if he would have just been like, you you medical. Ella Keys. Bring Johnny the keys. <laughs> Ella Keys. All right, there you go.